Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, again, good morning. Uh, So if I've not met you, uh, my name is David. I'm the lead pastor here at Apostles Houston, and uh, we're especially glad you're here if you're uh, new to Apostles, if today is your first Sunday. We're so glad that you chose to worship with us. Uh, Today is a little bit of an unusual Sunday for a few reasons, not the least of which is uh, it seems that we have uh, caught a wave of covid uh, that is running through the church. And so if you're wondering, where's the worship team and where is everybody? Uh, a lot of people are sick. And so um, just encourage us to be praying uh, for our praise team and anybody else you know, just for a speedy recovery and continued health, the Lord's protection and provision for us as a church. Um, but also, I did just want to say uh, just a special word uh, of thanks to, uh, to Nick. Uh, thank you so much, brother. So just so you know, I reached out um, to... Uh, the pastor uh, at Sojourn Heights, uh, Paul Ramsey, and just said, hey, it's, uh, <laughs> it's 8 o'clock at night on Saturday, and our whole team just down, went down with COVID. Uh, is there anybody that you know that would be willing to help us on short notice? And Nick stepped into the gap, and so I'm just very grateful for you leading us, brother. Um, thank you. And I just... I just I think it's just an encouragement to us as a church. You know, so often uh, we can kind of think, well, it's it's us, uh, but we are part of God's family, and there's a there's a whole um, a bunch of folks, especially here in the Heights, like Surgeon Heights, that we are locking arms with in this gospel mission. And this is an example of the body being the body. So I was just very very grateful for that. So thank you again, Nick, uh, for being here and for leading us. Um, We're going to look at Psalm 139 this morning and continue in our psalm series. But before we do that, I did want to take just um, a couple of minutes, and then I'm going to actually ask ask Peter Waring to come and and share. This time of year, uh, we're we're fast approaching Thanksgiving. It always sneaks up. It is here, uh, just a few weeks away. Uh, And in this time of year, as we consider uh, all that we have to be grateful for, we as a church want to do the same. We want to to kind of pause over the next several weeks in the month of November and really just consider what God has done for us over the past year, what God's done in your life and in my life, and in particular, what God has done through apostles, through this, uh, this church family and the ministry and the mission of this church, and that this is an opportunity for us Uh, individually and as a community to really reflect on what God has done for us. He has done so much, and he's he's been blessing us as a church in so many ways, and so just so much to be grateful for. And I think in this is an invitation to to press in and to continue and to honor the Lord uh, as we have been over the the many years that uh, we've been here, just continuing to give him the glory and give him the honor and give back to him out of his incredible abundance to us. And so uh, in the next uh, several weeks, we're going to take some time. We're going to hear a few testimonies. Uh, I'll be sharing a little bit about what the Bible teaches about giving next week, but also sharing some, uh, some vision for what we have to look forward in 2023. Uh, you should have gotten a letter uh, this past week um, from me kind of outlining a little bit more about 
uh, our giving campaign for 2023 and how you can participate. If you didn't, there's some on the table out there in the lobby and a giving card, or you can go online and uh, make your commitment there. We're asking that everybody would make their commitment by the end of the month, November uh, 30. So if you would do that um, and just be in prayer about that. But I, I want to invite Peter to come. Peter has been uh, a part of Apostles from the beginning. If you've not met him, uh, please do. He'd love to meet you. Uh, he is currently on our vestry, our leadership council, and serving as our treasurer. Uh, and so he uh, asked him just to share a little bit about his journey with giving and finance and what the Lord's taught him. And so, Peter, would you come and share? Let me grab you a mic, unless you got there. Yeah, here we go. And you can share. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Have you all ever gotten a scary email from somebody? Well, I got one from David last week asking me to do this, and uh, uh, I just had to get up and, and just get humble and say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? But um, he asked me to just talk a little bit about what God has taught me about giving and from a biblical perspective. So I, I don't want to tread on what David's going to say about what the Bible has to say but I want to start with some scripture and what uh, the Lord says about it. And he says in Proverbs 2.9, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. And then he says in Corinthians 8 verse 12, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And then again in Proverbs 11, it says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And then in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And finally, in Malachi chapter 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me on this, says the Lord Almighty. Test me on this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So those are just a few of the many verses in the Bible about giving. So what about me? Forty-nine years ago, I was 22, newly married to Elizabeth. And uh, I was uh, just got my first job working at Texas Commerce Bank. I was making what I thought was a huge amount of money, $750 a month. That's $9,000 a year. I had an apartment rent. I had a car note, insurance, groceries. I was saving for graduate business school. I had some beer money, and, you know, I was in good shape basic expenses. Um, so Elizabeth and I were in church in November 
1973, and the pastor began to talk about giving and tithing. I really didn't know what he was talking about because I, I had never made a pledge. I didn't know that people did that. I'd put a dollar or two in the bucket, you know, when they pass it around. But I'd never given anything in advance. And um, I didn't know much about what the Scripture said either about giving. But there was one thing the pastor said that kind of hit me. He said, um, where you spend your money is evidence of where your heart is. Well, um, my faith at that point was about the size of a mustard seed, I'd say. Maybe half a mustard seed. But um, Elizabeth and I uh, prayed about what we could give or what we should give. And we finally came to a commitment of $200 a year. That is 2.2%, not 10. And, um, but we had prayed about it, and we felt, okay, this is what we can do. Uh, I didn't feel guilty. And then as um, my career progressed, we gradually were able to increase what we gave, and we increased the percentage of our income over these many years. And we generally felt pretty good about it. And um, what we found, though, is the more we committed of our treasure, the more we committed of our time and our talent to the church. We became more involved. We taught Sunday school. We served on the vestry. We did whatever jobs needed to be done. And, you know, now, nine years ago, we even help plant this church. And, um, you know, it's just funny how God works. But what I want to tell you is that when we thought that we had stretched to give, that we'd really hmm, stepped out there in faith and increased our pledge and given more, um, what happened was we received more back from God and blessings to our family and in, our, in my career. It just almost every year it happened. And uh, it just was amazing, the blessings that came back. And I could never outgive God. And he always returned more than I'd ever dreamt of so that now 49 years later, we are blessed to be able to give more than 10% of our income. And we still have not outgiven God's blessings. So as you consider your commitment to the Church of the Apostles of your time and your talent and your treasure, we need them all. God will use them. Your specific gifts he wants to use. And um, you're spreading the good news of Jesus Christ in Houston and around the world. We've spawned four or five deacons from this church who are making disciples all over this city and, uh, and in the world. We have missionaries that we're supporting. We are, you know, 
God is doing it. I mean, we're just here kind of participating, but that's what he's doing here at Apostles. And um, I just want to encourage you that to know when you invest here your time, talent, and treasure, your heart will follow. And as he says in Malachi, test me on this and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven. My experience is it's true. It's absolutely true. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Well, just to pray as we um, now look at Psalm 139. But Lord, we just want to give you thanks because you have been so generous to us as a church. Lord, not the least of which um, the gift that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, we just pray that as we enter this season of, um, of Thanksgiving and considering what you would have us give, Lord, that you would guide our hearts. Lord, I pray that there would be um, a joy in this for us as a community because of what you have done for us and in us through your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. All right. If you want to open your uh, Bible to Psalm 139, Psalm 139. So if you've been with us, we have been going through the Psalms uh, and picking off a few Psalms just to highlight something that's really uh, amazing is that when we look at the Psalms, we actually can see the person of Jesus. So that's why we've called it Christ in the Psalms. We've been looking to find Jesus in each of the Psalms. One of my favorite Psalms uh, in my life has been Psalm 139. Um, And God has used it to minister to me in numerous ways uh, over the years. And so I'm excited for us to look at it this morning. And uh, just as a bookend uh, to our time in the Psalms, I did just want to encourage you in a couple of things kind of going forward. One is uh, that every time we read the Psalms, every time you open the scripture to the Psalms, that you would continue to see Jesus that you would see Jesus again and again and again, because I really do believe Christ is in every psalm, that in these psalms, these songs, these hymns, these prayers, we actually get to see Jesus, who he is, hear his words, the beauty and power of his salvation. So continue to look for Jesus in the psalms. Uh, and that, that would lead to the second thing. Don't stop reading the psalms. Just because the series ends, don't let your reading and meditation of the psalms end. Uh, The church has read the Psalms. We've talked about this daily in rhythms for millennia. The people of God have done this over and over and over, and it's something that we want to bring back uh, as a part of the rhythm of the church for apostles and that we want to see in Christ's church. Uh, And so I don't care how you do it. Just do it. Get into the Psalms. Use the prayer book. uh, Use an app come up with your own plan, but read and pray through the Psalms every day. I know some of you have been doing that. You've been sharing just your experience about that with me, and it's just so encouraging how God is using the Psalms for us. But today we're going to look at Psalm 139. So you want to have that open in front of you as we're looking at the Psalm together. And as we, as we look at this psalm, it reminded me of when I was a kid. I used to love, uh, like most kids, probably playing the game of hide-and-go-seek. 
loved playing hide-and-go-seek, and I remember uh, it was almost as much fun to hide uh, as it was to be found. Both those things, I loved kind of the feeling that both. There was something fun about finding the perfect hiding place, but then there was also this kind of a kick of adrenaline, you know, when you actually got found. And it seemed, if I remember this right, it was almost like the better the hiding place, the more fun it was to be found, right? Like, because, oh, you finally caught me. You finally got me. You found me. And this really has rung true, with, especially when my kids were younger and we would play hide-and-go-seek because they would find the most amazing places to hide. They would, they would hide literally, I remember they would hide in our old house in the kitchen cabinets. Like they would cram themselves into the lower kitchen cabinets somehow. And I would, I would never think to look there. And I would open them. They would be, I mean, it would just be joy, like absolute glee, you know, when they were found. And they were like, Daddy, let's play again. You know, and so there's this sense of, uh, uh, I think that that is in the spirit of Psalm 139, kind of what is happening, what's being described here with the Lord. There's a sense in which King David is reflecting on the fact that there's a God. There's a God that we worship who is searching for us. He is constantly searching for us. And we, we may want to hide from him, right? We may be inclined to hide from him, but there's a deep and profound joy in being found by him. And so as we look at Psalm 139, that's, that's what I want us to consider is, is this God and what it teaches us about this God who is searching for us and wants to find us and the joy of being found and known by this God. So that's where the psalm begins. If you look at the first verse, Psalm 139, it says, O Lord, O Yahweh, you have searched me and known me. And so this, this is my first point. We all desperately want to be known. We all desperately want to be known. There's something, there's something deep within us, right? There's something deep in us that wants to be found, that wants to be seen, that wants to, to connect with someone else in the deepest part of, of who we are, right? You, you know that feeling when you, when you, when you find a, a friend or, or maybe when you were dating and you connected with someone and they just got you, right? They, they, there's just some sense in which they just... You just connected. It was hard to even describe, but they just, they kind of got you. There's something powerful about that, about being seen and being understood. And conversely, you know, when, when, when there's someone in your life that you love and, and you feel like they don't see you and they don't hear you and they don't understand you, that the pain that that can bring is very deep. And so what David is describing here in Psalm 139 is this profound knowing that has no limits. It's unbounded knowing. He says, oh Lord, you have searched me. You've searched me. So it's like someone, it's, it's like if you uh, had a, you know, a, a hard drive, right? And, and someone decided, I'm gonna run the software that just is a scan of every file on the hard drive. That's, that's kind of what's happening here. Or we just, you know, it's interesting, the, the church owns a rectory, which is where we, our, our family lives, and we sold the rectory over in the uh, Woodland Heights, and we just moved over here to Timber Grove, and we're so grateful. And b- before we moved into that new house, we wanted to know, what is this thing that the church is buying? <laughs> you know, we wanted, we wanted to kind of know exactly what we were getting into. So what do you do? You have it inspected, 
Right? And so we had the inspection, and we had all these different people who have all these different kinds of expertise, and they looked in every nook and cranny of this house, house built in the early 60s, and they found everything and anything going on. They looked inside, they looked outside, they looked under it, they looked in the attic, they looked at the roof, they checked the plumbing, the electrical, the structural, they just went on and on and on. They checked all this stuff, and then what do they do? If you bought a house, what do they do? They put it into a report, and they give it to you. Right? They give you the inspection report. And, and in a sense... David is saying, look, God, you, you've done that with my life, right? You have looked in every nook and cranny. You've gone through every system. You've, there's nothing, in other words, about my life that you haven't looked at. Look at what he says in verse 2. You know what? When I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, Behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. If, if it creeps you out that Google can finish your search for you and anticipate that, okay? God knows your very thoughts. He can finish your phrases before you even get the words out of your mouth. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. In other words, God knows everything. Everything. Not just the facts, not just the dates, but the heart and the mind, and the soul, you, you know me, Lord. You get me at the depths of who I am. That there's nothing about me that you don't know and that you don't understand. Do you know that God knows you better than you know you? <laughs> Think about that. As much as you may be an expert on yourself, God's more <laughs> of an expert. He knows you through and through. Now, I just want to step back from that amazing reality and just admit, uh, and maybe you feel this way too, the notion of someone knowing you like that is terrifying. <laughs> There's a part of that that's really scary, if you, if you allow it to sink in, there's a vulnerability, right? There's an exposure there. You know, there's, a, there's a nakedness, in other words, before God. And it's, it's scary. And so when I think about God knowing everything about me, I actually, I, I kind of have these two conflicting thoughts, responses about that. On the one hand, uh, I think, wow. And on the other hand, I think, uh-oh, right? <laughs> you, and, and they both kind of hit you, um, and that's one of the things I love about the Psalms because they're so honest and they're so real. And no matter what your circumstances in life or where you are, you can connect. And this is, this is exactly what David expresses, the wow and the uh-oh, right? He, 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 says, he says this in verse six. He says the wow, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I, I, can't, even, I can't even attain it, Lord, that this is how this works. And then next verse, verse seven, what does he say? So where should I go to get away from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Um, both. He, he's feeling both. In verse 5, it says, you lay your hand upon me. Did you see that? Right before the, verse 6, 7, in verse 5, it says, you lay your hand upon me. When I thought about that, you know what? I, the picture that immediately popped in my head is, you know, maybe especially when you're a kid, but if there's like an ant or a bug and you're trying to catch it, and what do you do with your hand? You, you kind of try to hem it in and then so, you, so you can 
catch it like that. Like that, there's, there's a sense in which God's laying his hand, and it may feel like that to us. Like he's hemming us in. He's surrounded. There's nowhere we can get away. And, and so, in other words, in this analogy, you and I, just to be clear, are the bug. And God's hand is being laid on top of us. And the question is, how can you escape? How can you escape? You can't. So east to west, he says, above, below, in the darkness, everywhere. There's nowhere that we can escape from you. And that is an unnerving thought at a certain level. So just to bring this home, if I were to tell you that I have a comprehensive report right here on my computer, I'm going to flip over to it, throw it on the screen of your life from the past month. It includes everything that you've ever done, everything you've said over the past month. It's monitored your every thought. So even if it didn't come out, we captured it, don't worry. And we're going to put it on the report, and we're going to share that with the whole congregation. So you've got 30 seconds to prepare yourself, and if you need to leave the room, thanks for coming today. <laughs> right, putting that on the screen would be terrifying. Exposure, vulnerability. And, and the reality is why? Because, because here's the reality. It's because being known, as much as we long for it, being known actually isn't enough by itself. Being known by itself feels like exposure. It feels dangerous. And it feels that way because we know ourselves. We all have things about ourselves, about our lives, about our thoughts that we pray to God no one ever finds out. We all have those things. It's not just you. We all have that. Thoughts that we pray never see the light of day. Closets in our mind that we never want to open. We all have those. And so being known, having that brought into the light of day is terrifying. Unless, unless, not only are we fully known, but we are fully loved. We long to be known and we long to be loved. And that's the second point. We all desperately need to be loved. Tim Keller says it in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, this way. And I, I love this, and I highly commend that book if you've never read it. But in The Meaning of Marriage, Keller writes this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear but to be fully known and truly loved, well, is a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. That's it, isn't it? To be known and not loved is terrifying. But to be fully known and truly loved in the depths of who we are, all of us. That's what we want. So in Psalm 139, listen to what David says about this God who knows him, how he describes him. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Now just to pause here, the, the Hebrew word for knitted, that's translated knitted here, can also, I think interestingly, be translated covered. So it's the same root word that's used when in Exodus when Moses meets with God on Sinai and 
the Lord's glory is going to pass by. And you remember what he says to Moses? He says, I want you to hide in the cleft of the rock. And what's he going to do? He's going to cover over him with his hand as his glory passes by. And I just thought about that in light of what David's already said about the hand kind of coming down on us like the bug. (laughs) And here's another image of a covering, a, a different kind of hand maybe than we first imagined in our terror. There's a tender care and a covering of God. And so he goes on, he says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Intricately woven. This sense, again, of personal attention and care to you. That's how he made you. Your eyes, Lord, saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious, he says, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the son of them. Listen, God, this this is God's heart that he's revealing. God, you took that much care for me. That's what, that's what we're led to. God, you, you invested that much attention and effort. The God who made the universe, the God who set time and space into motion, the God who has all power and sees all things, he spent that much attention on me and on you. I'm worth all of that. I'm not just a clump of cells. Not just an evolutionary glitch. No. This is the God who loves you and made you. He intricately wove you together. So I'm going to say maybe that's hard for you to believe right now because of where you are in your life. And I want to encourage you that God does care for you. He sees you and he knows you. He intricately knit you together. Paul says that we are God's handiwork in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. So, wow. We should get to the end of this and just be blown away by the love of this God who made us and knows us through and through. What amazing thoughts. And I think that's exactly what David feels. He says, after all, he says, if I could count all of this, they would, these thoughts, these amazing things would be more than the sand. And then he says, I awake and I'm still with you. It, it, I, I'm not exactly sure how to take that statement. Like, was he asleep all this time? Like, what, what did he mean? I'm awake all of a sudden and I'm with you. It almost feels a little bit like what David has said. is like all of this stuff has just been, it, it almost seems like a dream. How can this possibly be true? It's overwhelming, the goodness, and the beauty, and the power of God. And, and yet he, he kind of comes out of this this moment of reflecting on it, and he realizes, no, this is real. This is who God is. And he's here with me, and I am here with him. That's the God who loves me and knows me. And so it's us getting caught up with the psalmist here in 139 to realize that we have a God who knows us and a God who loves us, and that's the invitation, uh, that we are completely known and perfectly loved. But the psalm doesn't end there. It kind of It goes on. Uh, and it actually makes a really hard pivot if you look in verse 19. And maybe you heard this as Elizabeth was reading. Where does this come from? How does this fit in uh, when in verse 19, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. 
How does that work? Well, part of what's happening here is David is recognizing that, man, there's a God who fully knows me and a God who loves me, but there's problems here in the world. There's a problem. We live in a world marred by evil. That's the first problem. He's going to identify two. The first one is we live in a world marred by evil. He takes this hard pivot because he wants us to understand that, yes, God knows us and loves us, but he's like, I feel this and we know this. There are actually people out there that want to hurt me. There's a world that is against me. Things are not easy in life because I'm known and loved by God. This world is not safe. I don't know if you've seen this on the news. There's been, in New York City, there's been this kind of rash of these bizarre attacks on the subway where people are getting shoved off of platforms onto the tracks of the subway. And, like, I, I hear that, and I don't, like, on a certain level, I don't understand it. Like, I don't, it's beyond comprehension that what would motivate someone to do that kind of thing to a total stranger on a subway platform. And yet, I do get it, right? We all all get it. We all understand that there are things that motivate people to do heinous, horrible, hideous, wicked things in the world, whether it's murder or rape or abuse of children. And David is looking out on that world, and he's saying, Lord, I know you know me and you love me, but, but this world is broken and there is evil in this world and he is naming it. And so we read this and even knowing all that, we get uncomfortable. We get uncomfortable with this kind of language. Do, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. What is David saying? Didn't Jesus say in the Gospel of Matthew, love your enemies? He did. He did say that. And we should love our enemies. But we should also hate what is evil. Because no one hated what was evil more than Jesus Christ. He went to the cross to defeat it and destroy it. And so what we have here is David describing not an account of personal revenge, but reflecting on the fact that he hates all that hates God. He hates all that is evil and does violence to God's people in creation. And he is praying against that in line with God, not a personal vendetta, not a personal place of revenge. It's a hate that hates what God hates and hating the things that actively work against God and who he is and his people is where we are supposed to stand. If we don't set ourselves against evil in the world, there's a sense in which we are complicit in it. And so what Psalm uh, 139 is telling us is the same thing that Paul says in Romans 12, 9. And this just keeps it really simple. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. It really is that, that clear. And we need the Holy Spirit to give us discernment on how to do that. And we need to be immersed in God's word so we know what's good and what is evil. But we need somebody to deal with this, this problem. This is a problem, evil in the world. And so So David identifies that problem. He identifies a second problem right after that, though, and you can't 
talk about one without the other. And this is the second problem, that our hearts are actually marred by sin. It's not just evil out there, it's the evil in here that David says, I need your help with. David knows the obstacles of being known and loved by God aren't just out there, they're in his own heart. Verse 23, search me, he says again, O God. Continue your inventory of my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. David has a spotlight on evil in the world and then he takes that same spotlight and he puts it right back on himself in humility and knowledge of his need for Jesus. He, he looks and he says, this is the sin in my own heart. And he says to God, when you search me, you're gonna find the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I need you to. I want you to. I need you to find it and deal with it. Romans 3.23 says this, this, this is just true. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. And so we all want to be known and loved by God, and at the same time, the reality is we've all rejected God. Again, I was thinking about what this looks like or feels like. It's almost like a crying toddler having a temper tantrum that desperately wants to be comforted by their mom or dad and at the same time is pushing and shoving mom and dad away, right? That, that's kind of the picture of us with God. The world tells us that, that what, we, what we need is to know ourselves. And we set off on a self uh, construction project to build ourselves and figure out who we are apart from God. And so we, we, we struggle, and, and God's saying, I can help you in that. I, I know the answer to the questions you're looking for. I can give you the love you're longing for. And we say no, and we set off on a temper tantrum over here by ourselves trying to figure out who we are and how to get it. And so we push God away out of fear and pride, and the world tells us that we, we need to make ourselves that we know what's best, and only we can find what we're looking for. And so we set off on these kinds of substitute journeys, trying to find what we can only find in God. And all those paths fail. The Bible calls that the sin of idolatry, and we've all done it. And while it may work for a while, eventually our idols leave us feeling alone and unknown and unloved. That's where they lead. Our sin cuts us off from the one who truly knows us and loves us. But there's good news. There's good news in the psalm. There's good news in the word of God. There's good news of the gospel. The God who knows us and loves us was not willing to leave us in this world of evil and sin. He was not content with this problem. So he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, into the world to seek and save us, you and me. In Christ, in Christ, we are fully known and fully loved. That's my last point. In Christ, we can be fully known and fully loved. Because of our sin problem, the only way we can get completely known and loved is if someone perfectly, powerfully, and lovingly rescues us. That's the only way. Jesus knows everything you've ever done or ever will do. He knows every secret. He knows every source of shame. He knows every source of darkness and doubt and pain in your life. He says, I know you, I know the real you, I know the whole you. Isaiah 41 says, I have chosen you and I have not rejected you. That's God's word to us in Jesus. I've chosen you and not rejected you. When Jesus went to the cross, he took all the evil and the sin in the world on himself. And when he did that and he died, all of it died with him. 
His, his death freed us from the power of sin and death. And so the cross, the cross says, this is a God that you can trust with your whole self. This is a God that would rather die for you than let you die apart from him. The invitation of the gospel is to open up to him and confess everything to him and then trust him with all you are because he does know you and he did make you and he does love you. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We want to be completely known. We want to be completely known and loved. But we carry a fear that if anyone, even if God, really knew who we were, he could never love us or accept us. God knows who you are. He knows everything about you. And he loves you and he demonstrated that love and that while you were yet a sinner, far from him, hiding from him, he sought after you and he died for you. This is what he wants for us. A life free of condemnation in Christ. A life of grace and mercy and life everlasting right where the psalm ends. And the way to get there is by trusting in him. Trusting in him. That's what he wants. The cross proves it. His word testifies to it, and the Holy Spirit confirms it. He has searched you. He knows you, and he loves you. I want to just close in prayer. I just want to create just a little space, and I'm going to read the last stanza of the psalm. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that as I read these words, or that they would be the words of our own heart, and that you, Holy Spirit, would do business with us as people who long to be known and desperately need to be loved, Lord, that we would find that in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that, that's never experienced that kind of knowing and love, that you would reveal it, Lord. Lord, I pray for those of us who have forgotten it or wandered from you, that we would know that you are searching for us and that you love us. And Lord Jesus, that we would experience again your grace and your mercy. To search me, O oh God, and know my heart, Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.